You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled Color. This is Lecture 2, given in Dornach on the 7th of May, 1921, entitled Luster and Image. Yesterday we tried to understand the nature of color from one particular aspect, which led us to the four colors black, green, peach blossom, and white. We found that we could describe them as already present in the world with the character of images. We saw how this image character appears when one form of existence is taken up in another. How, for instance, the living must be taken up in the lifeless for the image of the living, green, to appear. Let me read that again. We saw how this image character appears when one form of existence is taken up in another. How, for instance, the living must be taken up in the lifeless for the image of the living, green, to appear. Today I would like to take yesterday's experience a stage further. I shall do this by making a distinction between that which gives and that which receives, between that element in which the image is formed and that which causes the image. Then I shall be able to develop the following structure for you. I will start by distinguishing the shadow thrower from the illuminant. You will understand these expressions if you recall all that we experienced yesterday. If it is the spirit which throws the shadow, the spirit receives what is thrown upon it. And if it is the lifeless which illumines, this is apparently a contradiction, but in reality it is not so, then black is formed, as we saw, in the spirit as the image of the lifeless. And there's a diagram. If the lifeless is the shadow thrower and the living is what illumines, then green will appear, as in the plant. If the living is the shadow thrower and the soul nature is the illuminant, then peach blossom is the image. If the soul throws the shadow and the spirit is what illumines, then white will appear as image. There's a little chart here, and I'm going to try and read it one more time, see how this works. On the left we have the shadow thrower, and then the next column is the illuminant, and then the third column is image. I'm going to read them left to right, so I'll start with shadow thrower always, then illuminant, and then image, three at a time. Here we go. Shadow thrower beginning. The spirit... Illuminant, the lifeless, image, black. Okay, I'm not going to say those words anymore. I'm just going to say it across. The spirit, 
the lifeless black. The lifeless, the living green. The living, the soul peach blossom. The soul, the spirit white. We have then four colors with this image character. We may say that in each there is one element which throws a shadow and another that illumines. The two together make a picture or image. We have found four colors. Black and white must be counted as colors. Four colors with an image character. Black, green, peach blossom and white. There are, of course, other colors, and we need to discover their essential nature too. We will try to do this once again through a certain sensitivity to the impressions we receive and not through abstract concepts. Then you will see that it is possible to attain a sensitive understanding by dwelling on the following. Imagine a placid white. Into this placid white we introduce two different colors from opposite sides. From one side yellow, from the other blue. You must imagine this placid white, it can be a plain white surface, into which we let yellow play from one side and from the other blue. We then obtain green. We must visualize exactly what happens. We take a placid white into which we let yellow and blue play from either side and these give us the green which we have already discovered from quite another point of view. Now, if we enter livingly into the way in which colors come into being, we cannot look for the nature of peach blossom as we look for green. We must try to find it in quite another way, in the following manner. Imagine that I paint black here, underneath it some white, here some more black, underneath it again white, and so on, black, white. You must imagine that the black and white are not still, but in movement, weaving into one another. This is the opposite of the first example. Then we had a placid white into which we let yellow and blue play from left and right in a continuous process. Now I take black and white, I cannot of course paint it, so you must imagine them weaving into one another, and just as I let yellow and blue play in from left and right, So now I let this interweaving movement of black and white be shown through, irradiated by red. If I were to choose the right shade, then, through this interplay of black and white, into which I let the red shine, I would get peach blossom. Notice that we must make use of quite a different method. In one case we take a placid white, one of our series of image colors, which we obliterate by letting two other new colors play into it. In the other case, we take two of the colors we already have, black and white, and set them in movement. Then we take another new color, red, and let it shine through the black and white. The same thing will strike you if you observe the living. Green you will find in nature, but peach blossom, yesterday I indicated in what sense I meant, 
only in the healthy human being whose soul is present within his physical organism. I remarked then that it is not very easy to reproduce this color. It can only be done if black and white are shown in movement with red shining through them. A process must really be created. This process is present in a human organism which is never at rest. It is always in movement. And through this arises the color we are speaking of. When we paint, however, we can only obtain this color in a roundabout way. Indeed, for this reason, most portraits are really no more than masks, since the real living color present in the complexion can only be suggested by various approximations. It is, however, possible to achieve the color by a continual interweaving of black and white which is shown through irradiated by red. I have here indicated from the essential nature of the case a certain distinction in relation to color. I have shown how we can make use of two of these image colors, how in one instance we can take white by itself at rest and play two new colors into it in order to produce another image color, green. Again, taking two image colors, black and white, we can set them weaving in and out of one another and illumine them with a further color in order to obtain the second image color, peach blossom. We have obtained green and peach blossom in quite different ways. In one instance, we needed two luminous colors, yellow and blue. In the other, one luminous color, red. We should now be able to elaborate further what we discovered yesterday about the nature of color if we consider another aspect. We can say the following. Green, by its nature, allows itself to be circumscribed. We do not find it objectionable if we spread green over a surface and give it definite boundaries. But just think of doing this with peach blossom. Peach blossom confined within boundaries. This would not be true to artistic feeling. Peach blossom can really only be handled as a kind of mood, where any thought of definite boundaries is out of the question. This is a real experience for anyone who has a feeling for color. Think, for instance, of something green, perhaps a card table with its green covering. Because a game is a limited pedantic activity, completely philistine, we can quite easily associate it with a room in which there are green tables. An invitation to play cards at lilac-colored tables would be enough to make one want to run away. On the other hand, a lilac-colored room, a room decorated entirely in lilac, would lend itself very well to mystical conversation, in the best and worst sense. Considered in this way, colors do not work in an anti-moral fashion, but are amoral. Thus we discover that it follows from the very nature of the color, from its inner character, that green may be confined within definite limits, whilst lilac or peach blossom, the human skin color, will always disperse into something indefinite. We will now try to understand the colors we omitted yesterday from a similar standpoint. Let us take yellow in its essential inner quality and attempt to spread it on a surface. You will see that a yellow surface with definite boundaries is a repulsive thing. It is quite unbearable to artistic feeling. 
The soul cannot bear a yellow surface which is limited. We must make yellow paler at the edges, then paler still. In short, the yellow must be full in the center, shining out into a still paler yellow. If we are to experience its inner nature, we cannot imagine yellow in any other way. Yellow must shine outward. It must be deeper in the center and radiate. It must spread out, becoming less concentrated and weaker all the time. That is what I might call the secret of yellow. It is like mocking the very nature of yellow to give it a boundary, which is something imposed by man. Yellow is gagged when it is confined, for it does not want to be bounded, but to radiate in all directions. We shall see a case in a moment where yellow does consent to be bounded, but it will be evident from the example itself how much it goes against the nature of yellow to be defined. It wants to radiate. Now, in contrast, let us turn to blue. Imagine a surface with blue spread evenly over it. This is something which leads us away from the purely human. When Fra Angelico painted his even blue surfaces, he summoned, as it were, something divine into the earthly world. He felt he could paint an even blue only when he wished to bring something divine into the earthly world. He would never have allowed himself to do this for the purely human situation, for blue, because of its very nature and character, will not readily submit to being a flat, even surface. It needs the divine to intervene for blue to be spread evenly. Blue, by its inner nature, demands the exact opposite of yellow. It must shine in from the circumference. It demands to be at its fullest at the edges and to be at its least intense toward the inside. Blue is in its true element if we make it fuller on the outside and weaker in the middle. This is what makes it so different from yellow. Yellow wants to be strongest in the center and then to pale off. Blue dams itself up at the edges, flowing together into a wave which dams up around a lighter blue. Then it reveals its essential nature. Blue shines inward. Thus we return every time to the feelings and longings which arise in the soul through its experience of color. If they are to be fulfilled, and the painter really responds to them, if he is to paint according to the demands of the color itself, then he must begin to think, Now I've dipped my brush in the green. Now I must be a bit of a Philistine and give the green a sharp outline. Or, now I'm painting yellow. I must let it radiate. I must imagine myself spirit, shining spirit. Or again, when painting with blue, now I draw into my innermost self and form a kind of enclosure around myself. So I must paint my blue by giving it a kind of crust. Then he will be living in his color and will paint his picture in tune with what the soul experiences when it is absorbed in the essential quality of color. Of course, as soon as we begin to create artistically, factors play in which modify the whole situation. Now I will draw three circles for you, which I will fill with color. I could, of course, use other figures or shapes. To begin with, I can, for instance, make the yellow quite small in area. 
then spread it out, letting it shine out in the small area differently than in the surrounding area. Yellow must always radiate over something. But blue must always be handled so that it can withdraw, as it were, into itself. Red, however, might be said to be the balance between these two. We can accept red as a surface without difficulty. We can most readily understand this is we can most readily understand this in how we see how different it is from peach blossom in which it appears, as we have seen as an illuminant. Place the two colors next to one another, peach blossom and red. If the red is really allowed to make its own impression, how does it affect you? It will make you want to say, Red affects me through its stillness. It is not so with peach blossom, which wants to dissolve and spread out. A fine distinction can be drawn between red and peach blossom. Peach blossom tends to disperse and become thinner and thinner until it has evaporated altogether. Red, however, is enduring and makes its effect as a surface. It does not want to radiate nor to become piled up and encrusted, but to remain as still redness. It does not want to evaporate, it asserts itself. Lilac, peach blossom or flesh color do not really assert themselves, but always tend to assume new forms because they want to vanish. That is the difference between these two colors peach blossom, which we have already dealt with, and red, which is new to us. We have now brought these three colors together, yellow, blue, and red. Yesterday we grouped four other colors together, black, green, peach blossom, and white. Today we have tried to feel our way into yellow, blue, and red, and how they play into the other colors. We have let red play into black and white in movement, and we have let yellow and blue play into placid white. In each case our inner experience will easily allow us to discern the difference. We could not make such distinctions between the colors we took yesterday as we have now made between yellow, blue and red. We found with peach blossom that we had to let black and white weave in and out of each other with each maintaining its own identity. We cannot make more of them than that. Black and white are image colors, which can weave into one another and must be left at that. Peach blossom, too, we must leave alone. It disappears of its own accord. We cannot do anything with it and are powerless to control its fleeting quality. It can do nothing by itself. It is its nature to disappear. Green limits itself. That is its nature. But peach blossom has no desire to be differentiated, nor to be uniform like red. It does not want to be differentiated, but would much rather lose itself and disappear altogether. Just imagine peach blossom with lumps in it. It would be dreadful. It would promptly dissolve the lumps, for it strives toward sameness, toward an evenness of mood. It is quite another matter if one green is placed upon another, for green wants to be spread uniformly and given definite limits. We cannot imagine a radiant green. We can well imagine a shining star, but not a shining tree, frog. 
to be a contradiction for a tree frog to shine. Well, that is also the case with peach blossom and green. If black and white are to be brought together at all, we must let them weave into one another as images, although as images in movement. But it is different with the three colors we have found today. We have seen that yellow, through its very nature, wants to grow paler and paler toward the edges that it wants to radiate. Blue wants to dam itself up and red to be uniform, not within boundaries but acting as a uniform still redness. Rather, we should say that it wants neither to radiate nor to be dammed up but to be effective all over. It wants to hold the balance between radiating and being dammed up, between flowing out and damming itself up. So you see that there is a fundamental distinction between these three colors and those which are either innately still or in movement, still like green or in movement like peach blossom, or isolated like black and white. When we group these colors together, it must be as images. We have found that the inner activity, the inner movement of red, yellow, and blue, is distinct from the movement of peach blossom. Peach blossom tends to dissolve. This is not an inner movement. It wants to evaporate. Red, it is true, is still. It is movement which has come to rest. But when we look at red, we cannot concentrate our gaze on one point. We feel that red needs to be a surface, an even surface, but one which is not bounded. We have seen how differently yellow and blue are each constituted. Red, yellow, and blue are quite different from black, white, green, and peach blossom. In contrast to the colors which have an image quality, red, yellow, and blue have quite another character. And if you recall what I have said about them, you will be prepared for the term which I am now going to use to characterize the difference. I have called black, white, green, and peach blossom picture or image colors. I will call yellow, red, and blue lusters, luster colors. Black, white, green, peach blossom are formed as images, but objects actually shine with yellow, blue, and red. As they display their surfaces, they gleam and glisten. Here lies the essential nature of and principal differences within the world of color. Black, white, green, and peach blossom have an image character. They are, in quotes, pictures of something. Yellow, blue, and red have a luster character. Something shines from them. Yellow, blue, and red, these are the outward aspects of an inner reality. Green, peach blossom, black, and white are never more than reflected images, always somewhat shadowy. So we can say, speaking in the widest sense, that black, green, peach blossom, and white are fundamentally shadow colors. The shadow of the spirit in the soul is white. The shadow of the lifeless on the spirit is black. The shadow of the living on the lifeless is green. The shadow of the soul on the living is peach blossom. Shadow and image are closely related to each other. 
In blue, red, and yellow, however, there is something luminous, not shadowy, something that declares its inner quality outwardly. So, on the one hand, we have images or shadows, and on the other we have, in red, blue, and yellow, variations of something that shines. Therefore, I call them lusters. Objects glisten and gleam in certain ways. The essential nature of these colors lies in their radiant quality, yellow radiating outward, blue radiating inward towards itself, and red the balance between them radiating evenly. When this evenly shining color illumines white and black which are in movement, peach blossom arises. When yellow plays from one side and blue from the other onto a quiescent white, green arises. Here we have things which are thrown together quite chaotically in physics, and this includes everything said about color today. The spectrum scale is simply noted down, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. There is no mention of what plays within it. Let us run along the scale. Starting with the luster red, the luster quality gradually diminishes until we reach an image or shadow in green. Then we come to a luster of an opposite kind, to the first, to blue, the luster which is dammed up. At this point we must leave the physical realm and the usual color spectrum entirely in order to reach what can only be represented in movement, the peach blossom color, which arises when white and black are shown through, irradiated by red. If you take the usual diagram found in physics, then all you have is red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Now, if I do show, if I do not show it as it appears on the physical plane, but as it is in the next highest world, I would have to bend the warm and cold sides of the spectrum so that it is drawn like this, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. If I were to bend the band of color, which was stretched out in a line back upon itself, I would have my peach blossom color up here at the top. I have come back again to an image color. Image color one above and two below, luster three left and four right. Now only the other two colors, black and white, remain hidden. If I bring the white up here from below up, it would stay in the green. But then the black comes down to meet it from above and they begin to ripple into each other, creating with the red luster peach blossom. I have to imagine white and black overlapping and weaving into each other. In this way I obtain a complex arrangement of colors, which however reveals more of the nature of color than you will find in books on physics. We have spoken of luster color, but luster means that something shines. What is it then that shines? With yellow you need consider only the following, but you must do it with feeling and not with abstract understanding. I cannot help being so moved by the impression that yellow makes on me that it lives on within me. Think how joyful yellow makes everyone. And being joyful, after all, means being filled with a greater variety of soul. Through yellow we become more attuned to our own capital I, 
We are, in other words, filled with spirit. If you take yellow in its original stage, fading outward, and think of it shining within you because it is a luster color, shining into you as spirit, you will have to say, yellow is the luster of the spirit. Blue gathering itself together inwardly, dammed up, enclosed within itself, is the luster of the soul. Red, filling space evenly, is the luster of the living. Yellow is the luster of the spirit, blue is the luster of the soul, red is the luster of the living. Green is the image of the living, and red the luster of the living. You can see this very easily by looking at a fairly strong red on a white surface and then looking away quickly. You will see a green after image. The same surface will appear as a green after image. The red shines into you and forms within you its own image. But what is the image of the living inwardly? You must destroy the life to have the image. The image of the living is green. It is little wonder that the luster, red when it shines into you, forms green as its image. So we see that there are two quite different kinds of color. The passive, excuse me, the active and the passive. There are the colors that shine, although with certain inner differences of quality. There are others which are quiescent images. This is something which has its analogy in the cosmos. In the cosmos we have the contrast between the motionless star pictures of the zodiac and the differentiating activity of the planets. It is only a comparison, but one that is inwardly founded in fact. We can say that black, white, green and peach blossom have a quiescent effect. Even when one color flows into another in movement, as black and white in peach blossom, it still remains inwardly peaceful. In the three colors of red, yellow and blue there is inner movement, a planetary quality. Something of the nature of the fixed stars is present in black and white, peach blossom and green. Something of the planets lives in yellow, red and blue. Yellow, red and blue tinge the other colors. White is tinged by yellow and blue to green. White and black are tinged when red shines into them to peach blossom. Here we have a definite color cosmos. We see the world as interweaving color. We must go to the colors themselves in order to understand the laws that govern them. We must not be diverted into other paths, but must keep to color itself. When we have a proper grasp of color, we will see in the colors themselves what their mutual relationships are and what produces their luminous, shining quality or their shadowy picture nature. Think what this signifies for art. The artist knows that when he handles yellow, blue and red, he must induce in his picture something that expresses an inwardly dynamic quality, which itself gives character. If he is working with peach blossom and green on black and white, then he knows that an image quality is already present in the color. Such a science of color is so inwardly living 
that it can pass immediately from the soul's experience into art. If you grasp the nature of color in such a way that the colors themselves reveal their qualities, if you realize that yellow needs to appear deeper at the center and fade away toward the edges because that is its nature, if you then fix yellow by painting it as an even surface, you will need to do something with it. What should this be? Something must be put into the yellow which deprives it of its original character, its own will. The yellow must be imbued with weight. When yellow is given weight, it becomes the color of gold. In doing so, this yellowness is taken out of yellow. Although remaining, to some extent, yellow, you have deprived it of its true nature. If you paint a picture with a gold ground, it needs to be spread evenly over the surface. You have, however, given the yellow weight, inner weight. You have taken its own will from it and fixed it down. The painters of earlier times, who had a natural feeling for such things, sensed the luster of the spirit in yellow. In yellow they looked up to the spirit, to the luster of the spirit. But they wanted to give earthly expression to the spirit. They had to give yellow weight. When, like Simabu, they painted a gold ground, they gave the spirit a dwelling on earth. They realized the heavenly in their pictures. Readers aside, I am pronouncing Simabu, C-I-M-A-B-U-E, I apologize for my pronunciation, Simabu, and of readers aside. The figures could stand out from the gold ground, growing out of it as creation of the spirit. In all these things there is an inner order and law. From this you will see that if we handle yellow according to its inherent nature, as color it becomes stronger in the center and disperses away from this. If it is to become fixed as an evenly covered surface, then it must be mineralized. So we arrive at the conception of mineralized color, of color fixed in matter, about which we shall speak further tomorrow. But the colors must first of all be grasped in their full mobility before they can be understood as an actual physical quality belonging to external objects. Tomorrow we shall turn to this aspect, which is the only one associated with color by ordinary people, and extraordinary ones for that matter for color is considered only as it appears on solid objects, and it is quite impossible from this to gain an understanding of it in its mobility. The physical spectrum stretches endlessly from left to right without limit, but in the spirit and soul world everything is linked together. Here we must link the ends of the spectrum together. We must train ourselves to see not merely peach blossom color, but the mobility of the human complexion. If we so train ourselves that this color does not merely indicate what is human, but is something in which we live, we shall become aware of how the soul dwells in the physical body as the color of the human complexion. This is the entry, the door, that leads into the spiritual world. Color descends into the surfaces of physical objects, but it also raises us from the purely material and leads us to the spiritual. The end of Lecture 2